This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. A warm welcome to First Move. I am Zane Asher in for my colleague Julia Chatterley. Just ahead on today's show, a mugshot moment. Former President Donald Trump surrendering to authorities in the U.S. state of Georgia Thursday night. Trump arrested for his alleged role in the 2020 election case. Other co-defendants turning themselves in overnight as well. Georgia prosecutors now looking at an October trial date even though that is considered very, very soon. Also, Prigozhin probe, the Kremlin today denying any responsibility for the plane crash that appears to have taken the life of Yevgeny Prigozhin. Moscow also blasting U.S. President Biden's comments on the matter. The U.S., the U.K. still probing the circumstances of the crash. Uh, we'll have a live report for you just ahead. And Fed focus, global investors await a closely watched speech from Fed Chair Powell, beginning one hour from now at the Fed's Jackson Hole Wyoming Symposium. ECB head Christine Lagarde will also speak later in the day as well. Jackson Hole is a venue where central bankers traditionally deliver very important policy messages. So we'll be watching uh, what he says very closely. And ahead of Powell's comments, U.S. stocks remain on track for a mostly higher open. European uh, stocks on the advance as well after a weak Asian handover. Reports today say that China is poised to take new steps to boost investors' confidence. But the Shanghai Composite and the Hang Seng closed lower on the day. Japanese stocks fell by some 2%. Whew. That was a lot. So much to get through this hour. But let's get uh, the latest uh, from Georgia. Donald Trump has surrendered himself in Georgia, and he's also become the first former U.S. president to have a mugshot taken. Uh, here it is. Oh, we don't have the mugshot yet. But uh, he flew into Atlanta to be booked at Fulton County Jail on charges related to efforts to overturn the 2020 election results. It is the fourth time Trump has surrendered himself to authorities in less than a year. Nick Valencia has more. A mugshot and inmate number P01135809 will forever be associated with the former president. Donald J. Trump was arrested on state charges related to election subversion in Georgia Thursday. He was booked and released on bond at the Fulton County Jail. The former president took to the right-wing network Newsmax to discuss his surrender. Terrible experience. Uh, I came in, I was treated very nicely, but uh, it's, uh, it is what it is. I took a mugshot, which I never heard the words mugshot. That wasn't, didn't teach me that at the Wharton School of Finance. And uh, I have to go through a process. It's uh, election interference. Ahead of his surrender, 
Trump agreed to a $200,000 bond and other release conditions, including not using social media to intimidate co-defendants and witnesses in the case. This is the fourth criminal case filed against the former president this year. What has taken place here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. And everybody knows it. Trump continues to deny any wrongdoing in this case and the others. This should never happen. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election, and I should have every right to do that, as you know. Trump shared his mugshot on his Truth Social and his ex account, formerly known as Twitter, with the words, election interference and never surrender below it. It was his first tweet on X since January 8, 2021, two days after the insurrection. The former president was not the only high-profile person to surrender on Thursday. Former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows surrendered himself to the Fulton County Jail. He's been charged with violating Georgia's RICO Act and soliciting a public officer to violate their oath. He denies any wrongdoing. A Fulton County grand jury returned a true bill of indictment. Just last week, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis charged Trump and 18 co-defendants with meddling in the 2020 Georgia presidential election laws. On Thursday, the district attorney filed a motion requesting a trial date of October 23, 2023. That date was set after Kenneth Chesborough, the co-defendant who is considered the architect of the fake electors plot, requested a speedy trial as his right. His trial is set to begin on that date. Trump's attorneys say he opposes the proposed trial date. And new this morning, the Kremlin says genetic testing is underway to determine if Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin died in a plane crash outside of Moscow on Wednesday. This is Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov says allegations that Russia gave an order to kill Prigozhin are a complete lie. Meantime, Russian President Vladimir Putin broke his silence on Thursday. He offered his condolences and called the mercenary leader a talented man who made serious mistakes. First of all, I want to express my sincere condolences to the families of all the victims. This is always a tragedy. Preliminary information suggests that Wagner Group employees were also on board. Matthew Chance joins us live now from St. Petersburg. So, uh, Matthew, do we have any more clarity just in terms of what exactly caused the crash that killed, allegedly killed, I should say, Yevgeny Prigozhin. Matthew, can you hear me? Yeah, I, I can hear you very well, um, Zane. And no, we don't have any more clarity is the short answer to that. Um, we know that um, this plane, for no apparent, you know, discernible reason at the moment that we've established, sort of crashed uh, about 60 miles outside of Moscow. We know that all 10 people on board, including, we believe, Yevgeny Prigozhin, the head of Wagner, but also other senior uh, Wagner figures um, were killed. Um, and what's happening now is that there's still an investigation underway, which the Russian authorities are, are heading up. Um, and they say they're going to get to the back of it, the bottom of it, rather. Um, but of course, online, you know, amongst Russians you speak to, there's all sorts of speculation about there being a bomb on board, about it being uh, the victim anti-aircraft fire. Um, there's a lot of suspicion around the country as well for many of the Russians I've spoken to off camera who believe the Kremlin may have been implicated as revenge uh, after Yevgeny Prigozhin led that abortive uprising against Kremlin authority in June 
of this year, a revenge killing, in other words. That's something that within the past few hours, the Kremlin has categorically denied. They've called that allegation absolute lies. Dmitry Peskov, the Kremlin spokesman, uh, saying those words uh, to reporters earlier. But nevertheless, it's still a suspicion held by many people around Russia, even if they won't express it publicly for understandable reasons. You can see we're here at this makeshift memorial in St. Petersburg, which is Prigozhin's home city. It's Putin's home city as well, as you may know. It's right in front of uh, the uh, Wagner headquarters. And you can see people are trickling in. They're putting these flowers here, these, mem these memorials, photographs of uh, Prigozhin over there, little messages to him saying how much he's missed and how much of a hero he was uh, for Russia. I've been, I've been showing this, but I'll show you as well. This is a very heavy uh, sledgehammer with Wagner written on it. It's become a symbol, this hammer, this kind of tool of the extreme violence that Wagner used to enforce discipline and to exact revenge amongst people it regarded as traitors. It was a hammer like this that was used to brutally execute someone they regarded as a traitor and they videoed it and that video be, you know, really consolidated this idea that Wagner was a ruthless organisation that would do anything to protect the motherland as they, as they saw it, Russia. Um, and so, yeah, you know, that extreme violence attracted a lot of people. Um, what's interesting now is that there are this steady stream of people, not just in St. Petersburg, but in Moscow, in other cities around the country, coming to pay their respects. Not a lot of people, but some. And that just gives you, know, you a little indication of just how popular a figure Yevgeny Prigozhin was and how Wagner continues to be popular in the minds of many Russians. At the same time, though, as you point out, uh, Vladimir Putin, the Kremlin, denying they had any involvement in terms of uh, Prigozhin's alleged death. But Vladimir Putin also coming out and saying that, yes, he was talented, but he made some serious mistakes. All right, Matthew Chance, live for us there. Thank you so much. Greek authorities say they're dealing with a large resurgence of wildfires scorching parts of the country. Fires north of the Greek capital, Athens, are still out of control today with parts of the forest there destroyed overnight. Eleni Chokos joins us live now from just outside Athens. Um, Eleni, just walk us through what firefighters are dealing with. I mean, these flames seem almost impossible yeah. to snuff out, and these firefighters are clearly overwhelmed. They're clearly overwhelmed. They say that they're battling something that is akin to a nightmare every single night. You have to remember when the sun goes down, the aerial assistance comes to an end. We've been at the spot for almost two hours. This is Parnitha Mountain. We've said this many times. It is the lungs of Athens. And you can see a fire now dropping through virgin forest. So much has already been decimated. We're still seeing flames erupt in certain spots. Some of it, while we were waiting for you, uh, we saw a fire er erupting actually here, um, Ovi, uh, to my right. You can see um, flames that have emerged in Virgin Forest Zane. Um, Parnitha Mountain still not a controlled area. The fire department says they're still battling blazes. Many fronts across um, this mountain. This isn't the only front, however, in Greece. We've got many others, many wildfires um, around the country, especially in Alexandropolis, uh, where that is probably one of the biggest fronts right now. We've already had uh, 20 deaths, 18 bodies found earlier this week, one now due to smoke inhalation, another heart attack related to uh, the fires as well 
what authorities are telling us. I want to give you a sense of the numbers in terms of land that has been burnt. Um, 1.3 billion square meters estimated by the EU Forest Fire Information System says has already been decimated. That would make it the largest wildfire destruction uh, since records began in Alexandropolis, uh, 73,000 hectares has been burnt. Now, the Greek authorities say it's too early to quantify the damage that they will be measuring this after the wildfire season. Um, 79 arrests for arson. So we have climate change issues, heat. You've got wind exacerbating uh, these catastrophic fires. People's homes have been destroyed. And then you have people deliberately setting fires as well. Cases of arson have emerged, not only here in Parnitha, but also in other areas uh, in Greece as well, uh, Zane. But this is a battle that continues. And let me tell you, the people that are fighting on the ground, the women and the men uh, manning uh, the, the uh, fire trucks, and as well as the planes and the helicopters that we can see ahead of us over there, are absolutely heroic. It has been incredible to see the commitment and the heroism uh, in fighting these fires. And Eleni, I am so glad you pointed that out. And when, when you actually just panned the camera to show those images, that kind of smoke billowing in the air just gives you a real sense of what these firefighters are up against. That certainly is a sight to behold. Yeah. Eleni Jokos, live for us there. Thank you so much. Please. All right, in other news, Jackson Please Hole say. is ready for its close-up once again, the 46th annual Fed Economic Symposium at the Western Wyoming Resort area is well underway. Investors are hoping for a kinder, gentler speech from Fed Chair Jerome Powell this year. Powell's hawkish message in 2022 sent the Dow tumbling 1,000 points. Matt Egan joins us live now. Matt, uh, the markets are desperately hoping there's not going to be a repeat of that. And I don't think there will be because we're in a much different place um, compared to last year. When Jerome Powell made that speech last year, inflation was around eight and a half percent. Now it's around three percent. So things have clearly changed. Zane, it is very different. But, you know, the market reaction from the past few days does suggest that at least some investors are having some flashbacks to last year's Jackson Hole sell-off that you referenced. You know, during that speech, Powell, he warned that the process of bringing down inflation would be painful to consumers. Investors are sort of on edge about what Powell's going to say today, especially about where interest rates go from here. Let's look at where investors are pricing things in heading into this speech. Um, at last check, there is an 80% chance priced into the market of no interest rate hike in September and about a 20% chance of a quarter of a point rate hike. So that is before Powell speaks. We don't know exactly what Powell's going to say. He, he should um, acknowledge that improvement in inflation that you that you just pointed to and the fact that the process of getting inflation back down hasn't been nearly as painful as many people anticipated. Recession fears have eased. But, Zane, I don't think that we should expect Powell to take a complete victory lap. Not yet. Inflation is not back to 2%. And Powell knows that if he's too dovish here he could end up setting off a celebration on Wall Street. And that is not what he wants, because if markets spike and bond yields cool off, you know, that's actually going to make uh, financial conditions easier. And that's going to make it harder to get inflation back down. So I think at best, Powell's going to take a measured approach, talk about the progress and uh, allude to more work done. But at worst, Dane, he could deliver another sobering message that investors don't want to hear. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, one of the biggest mistakes the Fed made was believing that inflation post-pandemic was only going to be transitory, that it was just going to be temporary. And so because of those errors, there's so much more pressure on the Fed, on Jerome Powell, to really get things right um, from here on out. Matt Egan, live for us there. Thank you so much. All right, straight ahead, we'll discuss Putin, Prigozhin, and swirling questions surrounding the plane crash with uh, Kremlin critic Bill Browder. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The apparent death of former Putin ally Evgeny Prigozhin in a plane crash is raising a number of questions, not just who might be behind it, but how exactly it happened remains a mystery. Katie Polgays investigates. Falling from the sky, the plane reported to be carrying the Wagner leader Evgeny Prigozhin. Coming two months after he launched a mutiny against Russia's leader Vladimir Putin, he was widely seen as a man on borrowed time. As footage started to emerge on social media of the crash, CNN's open source team began piecing together what happened. The aircraft associated with Prigozhin is RA-02795. It makes frequent trips between Moscow and St. Petersburg. CNN geolocated the main crash site to here, and you can see the same tail number visible amid the debris. The plane had left Moscow at 5.55pm local time. Twelve minutes later, the location is no longer detectable. But public flight tracking site Flight Radar 24 still receives information on its altitude. The last minute of the recorded flight is key. You can see here the flight's altitude is erratic. It's going higher and lower before it eventually plummets. Now, aviation experts told us this is highly unusual, and it suggests those on board were trying to stabilise the plane after something happened to it. In other words, the disruption was not big enough to obliterate everyone and everything instantly. Expert opinion is split on what exactly happened, likely an explosion, perhaps a bomb on board or a missile hitting it, or even something else. Whatever it was, was clearly powerful as the plane is visibly falling without a wing. The tail ends up over here, 2.6 kilometres away from where the rest of the debris lands. Videos show fires at the crash site. Some are graphic. 
human remains strewn amid the debris. Since then, Russian authorities have taken the bodies away for examination and begun an investigation. But many have already made up their minds as to who they think was behind the Wagner aircraft's violent end. Katie Poglase, CNN, London. The UK's Ministry of Defence says it is highly likely that Wagner chief Yevgeny Prigozhin is dead. In its latest intelligence update, the MOD said there is not yet definitive proof that Prigozhin was actually on board this plane. However, it is highly likely that he is indeed dead. Joining me live now is Bill Browder, CEO and co-founder of Hermitage Capital Management. He was once the largest foreign investor in Russia until he was declared a threat to national security for exposing corruption in state-owned companies. He's also the author of Freezing Order, a true story of money laundering, murder, and surviving Vladimir Putin's wrath. Bill, uh, so, so good to have you with us on this story. Um, So many questions here. Uh, Just give us your take on this plane crash, the fact that uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin was allegedly on board, what we don't know and where we should be treading very carefully. Well, um, first, I think we should just state the obvious that um, uh, Putin has a long history of killing his enemies. Mm -hmm. He declared Yevgeny Prigozhin to be his enemy after Prigozhin launched a a rebellion on June 24th. Um, uh, The only thing surprising uh, in the last few days is um, that it took two months for Putin to act out on his vengeance. Uh, I I think it's absolutely obvious and clear that uh, when you see this plane falling out of the sky, whatever caused it to fall out of the sky, that this was an assassination organized by Vladimir Putin to kill his most important opponent at the moment. So why do you think that if, if it is Putin behind it, and I obviously want to be very careful as a journalist, if it is Putin behind it, um, why do you think he did indeed wait two months? Well, it, this is the question that, that um, everyone was asking me every day during this two-month period. Like, what, what is it, you know, I mean, if you think about it, I, I know many, many people who are sitting in jail um, for, for just saying bad words about Putin, um, people right. from the Russian opposition. I was friends with Boris Nemtsov, who was shot and killed for, for just criticizing Vladimir Putin. And to have a guy who organized an armed rebellion survive for two months is just inexplicable. I mean, the only thing I can speculate on is that that Prigozhin was such a powerful person in terms of all the different mercenary operations he was running abroad uh, in Africa. I think there are 17 countries in Africa where Wagner is active that um, uh, they need to figure out you know, uh, how to how to um, how to replace him, what, what their what their contingency plan was. And they needed to get that all in place before they actually took him out. But, but that's the main the main mystery is is not that they killed him. That that's 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 the most obvious thing in the world. But, but that Putin was ready to be humiliated, and, and really he was humiliated for two months while Prigozhin was running around as if nothing had happened. You know, I find fascinating is that obviously if you're Yevgeny Prigozhin, you know, you know, you know how the game goes. You know the game that you're in, and so you are aware that from the day of that failed rebellion, that you are essentially a marked man. Your days are numbered. Wouldn't somebody like Yevgeny Prigozhin have a ton of precautions in place for this possible uh, eventuality? For, for sure. And if you remember, when, when, when uh, on the day of the rebellion, the Russian secret police, the FSB, raided his office and raided his home, 
and they found multiple passports with different names in them. They found wigs and other disguises. Um, this is a man who has um, spent his whole life dealing with subterfuge and, and, and all this type of stuff. For him to be traveling on his own name on, on, with a, on, on the flight manifest of his company's jet um, in a predictable manner makes no sense. And, and, and the only thing I can imagine is that, you know, we, we, we always tend to overestimate these people in Russia. Maybe he just, you know, got stupid and got comfortable and, and you know, went on 10 trips. Nothing happened. He, th- he thought, OK, I'm safe. And then they got him I mean, on the yeah, 11th. That, that's, yeah, that's another thing. I mean, there was a plane crash back in 2019 where people thought that Prokosian, um, people thought he, that he had died and he emerged perfectly fine and, and, and well. And just in terms of, you know, what you talk about, this is a man that had so many different passports. This is a man who had body doubles. You point out there are wigs and masks and that sort of thing. And then for him to be on this plane with other members of the senior leadership of Wagner just seems somewhat uncharacteristic. That's where I'm wondering how cautious we should be in terms of just sort of ultimately believing that what the Kremlin is saying happened actually happened. Well, I, I agree. Everything that the Kremlin says, says you should assume is a lie. Um, but, but, but the fact of the matter is that, that he, we, you know, he's not emerged. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would say there's probably a 95% chance he's dead, but there's a 5% chance that that he's going to pop up somewhere and and uh, th- thumb his nose at Putin and, and say, "Okay, I'm coming to get you." But you know, I, you know, we're in the world of total craziness here and conspiracy theory, and um, so who, who knows? And just in terms of how this is playing out in in the Russian media, I mean, how is I mean, Vladimir Putin came out yesterday offering condolences to Prigozhin's family, saying, you know, I think we could actually read into some of the words that Putin used. He said that Prigozhin was a talented man, but he made very serious mistakes. Um, How is all of this playing out in Russian media? Well, I mean, this is just typical mafia talk, the way he he does it. You know, he he kills Prigozhin and then... Uh, uh, it, it can, says condolences to his family. I mean, it's just this is like Godfather mafia mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, and and the words that he says are are just so sort of with double entendre, you know, saying saying he was a very effective man, but he made mistakes and so on. It's just all all Putin speak, mafia speak. This is how he does stuff. And and this is what Putin wants everybody <clears throat> to know is that on one hand they deny having any involvement in his killing. Um, which which they announced today through Putin's press spokesperson Peskov, and on the other hand, Putin wants to look everybody else in the eye and say this is what happens to traitors, and that's right. This, this right, is sends just a very clear message. Yep, Don't even think he, about he betraying me. Right, yeah, um, exactly. Bill. We have to leave it there. So so good to have you on the program. Uh, so grateful. Bill Browder, CEO and co-founder of Hermitage Capital Management. We appreciate it. And author of Freezing Order. Thank you. All right. Stay with CNN. Coming up, we are outside the Fulton County Courthouse with the latest on the historic fourth arrest of Donald J. Trump after this. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back. 
Back to our top story this hour. The fourth arrest and the first mugshot of Donald J. Trump uh, now released on a $200,000 bond from Fulton County Jail in Georgia, where he is charged with efforts to overturn the 2020 U.S. election. The former U.S. president has returned to New Jersey and is calling the criminal case against him a, quote, travesty of justice. Zachary Cohen joins us live now outside the Fulton County Courthouse. So Fanny Willis, the district attorney here, is trying to get a trial off the ground. I don't know how she's going to manage to do it uh, in about two months. Is that realistic, Zachary? Yeah, it's an aggressive timeline for sure. And, um, you know, it remains to be seen if she can actually get that going by October 23rd. That's the date that she wants um, to start this trial. And she wants to try all 19 of these defendants, former President Donald Trump and 18 others together. Now, we're starting to already see some, potentially some cracks in that plan. Uh, one of the defendants, Ken Chesborough, um, tried to um, request a speedy trial, as this is right here. Um, but a judge has set his date for October 23rd, but none of the other defendants. So we're, we're, we're going to have to see how prosecutors navigate this really complex and, uh, frankly, um, historical case involving a former president and or 18 other individuals, in, including his chief of staff or former chief of staff, and who we also saw get a mugshot at the Fulton County Jail when he surrendered yesterday afternoon. So really a day of first yesterday, Donald Trump coming to turn himself in. But we also have a lot more first to come as this case and as this trial as this trial plays out. And just how complicated is it, you know, with so many co-defendants, um, last time I checked, not all of them have actually turned themselves in. Has that changed at this point? So as it stands this, oh, this morning, 17 of the 19 defendants, including Trump himself, have turned themselves in. We do expect the other two to turn themselves in before the noon today deadline, um, you know, but if that doesn't happen, obviously authorities, their arrest warrant will become active and authorities will search for them and try to bring them into custody. We, but we do expect all 19 to eventually surrender. And then we can start the next phase of this case, which is looking ahead to how a potential trial may play out and how it may play out involving a former president and former government officials here in the U.S. All right, Zachary Cohen, live for us there. Thank you so much. All right, back to business news now. U.S. stocks up and running for the final session of the week, a higher open across the board as we close out the final full trading week of August. My gosh, this year has gone by so quickly. Uh, where stocks end today's session has a lot to do with what Fed Chair Jerome Powell has to say about the state of the U.S. economy and interest rates. Powell's speech before global central bankers in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, begins uh, less than half an hour from now. Powell's comments are not expected to be as gloomy as last year, thanks to a brighter inflation picture, but do not expect a mission accomplished moment either. No one's going to be doing victory laps here. Many investors still anticipate an additional Fed rate increase somewhere down the line. Ken Rogoff joins us live now. He is professor of economics and public policy at Harvard University and also former chief economist at the IMF. Um, Ken, thank you so much for being with us. I think what's really thank interesting you. about this is sort of trying to compare what Jerome Powell is going to be saying this time around compared to last year. When you think about last year's speech, it was very short, uh, only about nine minutes. And he sort of made his stance very clear. He said, look, we have to get inflation under control. It doesn't matter what it costs. There's going to be a lot of pain in terms of how consumers experience the next sort of six to 12 months. But we have to do it because we don't want inflation to become entrenched in the economy. Just walk us through how things have changed for the better this time around compared to last year. Well, let's walk back two years, not 
last year, but two years ago, he was much more optimistic in his tone and thought that the inflation would go away mostly on its own without aggressive interest rate hikes. That proved to be wrong. Mm -hmm. And he did an about face, good for him, the next year. And uh, they've been, they, it's come out very well. I mean, I think there was overwhelming view that if you raised interest rates that fast, something would break. You would see a recession. We haven't, in fact, growth, uh, particularly in the labor market, still phenomenal. Inflation's still elevated. Uh, it's the headline is three percent, but I think you know, looking deeper, it's probably more in the four percent, four percent plus range. So he's certainly not going to say mission accomplished, but. I think it's going to be very hard for him to resist taking a little bit of a victory lap okay. here because okay. everyone said, you know, things were going to be a disaster and they haven't been. So then why haven't they been a disaster? As you point out, when you raise interest rates consistently, there are usually nasty side effects that come with that. But we haven't seen that this time around. Why? Most of the answer is we don't know. Uh, after the pandemic, a lot of things have been strange, uh, people rethinking their lives, consumers behaving differently, uh, people working from home, and economists haven't sorted it out. I do think a piece of it, though, is that the underlying interest rate that would keep the economy at a stable growth rate with low inflation is much higher now than it was a few years ago. Remember, uh, we had this period of almost a decade where interest rates were basically zero. And it was unprecedented mm -hmm. and eventually up and down the line. And I think that's not the case anymore. And I suspect one of the things Powell will emphasize is, yes, eventually we're going to cut interest rates, but don't assume they're going to go back to what you had gotten used to. And just looking ahead um, post the speech, when it actually comes to interest rate hikes, I mean, obviously, the last time around, we got a pause. Are you anticipating a pause next time around or another 25 basis point hike? Well, I think if things go the way they're going now, it'll be a pause. Uh, they had thought just uh, at the end of June that they were going to hike again in September, that they be, would be hiking. They strongly indicated that, but the data had been better, particularly on inflation, than they thought. And I think more of the question in this speech especially is not what are we doing in September, but what are we doing over the long haul? What's our vision? Because remember, why it matters is not just for the overnight interest rate, it's for mortgage rates. That's a big deal. Right, People right. borrowing for 30 years and everybody's trying to get a, you know, a grip on what's next, not just what's in September. Going back to one of the things you touched on um, earlier, just this idea that things are so much better than... Um, what the Fed had been anticipating this time last year when Jerome Powell gave uh, Jackson Hole speech in 2022. Um, you know, we talked about the fact that we've avoided the recession that people had been fearing or the pain that Jerome Powell um, had talked about. Do you think um, that things could still turn sour or is the worst of it basically behind us at this point? Well, a little bit depends on what they decide to do. So they've gotten inflation down, I want to say, into the three and a half, four range, and the pain hasn't come yet. A question they have to decide is how fast do they want to bring it down to their target, which is ostensibly two. And I think if they were to try to do that fast, as you said, raise interest rates in September, raise them again in uh, November, well, I, I do think that would make a big difference. I think 
it is still fragile. It is amazing we haven't had more problems. Right. But I suspect what Powell will signal is we're tough, we're gonna to get it down to 2%, but without kind of trying to indicate that we're doing it fast, that we're gonna be willing to take our time. That would make sense to me. But at the same time saying, look, it's gone better than everyone was telling us. Yeah, the Fed made some mistakes in the past just in terms of believing that inflation was gonna be transitory post pandemic, but this is one aspect that they've really gotten right. Just this idea of being able to raise interest rates without the sort of nasty side effects that uh, most people would be anticipating. Ken Rogoff, like well, us well, there. Well, they've gotten oh, lucky, go I would say. Okay. They've gotten, gotten lucky, lucky too, I would <laughs> lucky. say. Lucky. Yeah. Uh, most people don't really know why it's turned out this way, but I'm sure uh, Jerome Powell will take it. Ken Rogoff, live for us there. Thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. All right, still to come here on First Move, defiant in the face of outrage. Spain's football chief gives a new statement about the kissing scandal at the Women's World Cup. Full details next. All right, when you think of wine-producing nations, you might think of the sun-soaked vineyards of Italy, France, or even South Africa. Perhaps not really the northern European landscape of Scandinavia. But as global temperatures rise because of climate change, some winemakers are using the opportunity to grow their industry further there. You're looking at some of the wines made by Blackstar, a vineyard and restaurant in Sweden, which uses new varieties of grapes adapted to the country's climate. Goran Amnegard is Blackstar's owner and joins us live now. Goran, thank you so much for being with us. So you're in your car. Um, you're actually on your vineyard in Sweden, but you're in your car because yeah. it's raining. <laughs> so we're still happy yeah. to talk to you. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah, still happy to talk to you. Um, just, just talk to us a bit more about how climate change is affecting um, the winemaking industry in Sweden. Because when a lot of us think of where wines come from, of course, we think of France, we think of Italy, we think of Spain. I mentioned South Africa as well. We don't necessarily think of Sweden. We don't think of Scandinavia. How, how might that be changing? Well, I mean, you know, I was one of the early birds here. I mean, I started 23 years ago. Uh, actually, I used to live in Toronto, uh, went back from Toronto to Sweden, started the vineyard, um, and, and growing things like Merlot, Chardonnay, uh, Vidal, making ice wine. But, you know, what people forget is that we have 25% more daylight hours during growing season. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, it, because we're not, you know, and in the growing season, let, you know, May, September, and, 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 and that's so amazing. Uh, and, and the grapes develop perfectly. Um, I've been very fortunate. I got gold at the International Wine World Challenge four times, actually. Um, and and it, it, it's so much the nature. Yes, warming, global warming, yes, maybe part of the equation. But there's so much more to it, you know. It's just mm -hmm. not, it's just not that it's a little bit warmer. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And then you can discuss to the end of the day the reason for it. But uh, daylight situation and, 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 and things like that is also part of the equation. So if Sweden is um, emerging as a sort of young winemaker country, the question then becomes, how does it sort of promote that 
um, to sort of wine consumers around the world. It's one thing to sort of become a young winemaking sort of country. It's another thing to sort of convince consumers that you are there who are traditionally used to wines coming from other countries. I export most of my wines, um, uh, even to Asia, but Europe. But, you know, it's still such a small production and um, the little there is made seems to be consumed and stayed in the country. As it grows bigger, there will be quantities for export. So, so that's why most people outside the country here hasn't been exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I produce ice wine. Uh, and the funny thing is that people in Sweden don't drink ice wine, but the rest <laughs> of the world does. Okay. So I'm, I'm very happy with that. <laughs> I'm very happy with that. So, you know, it's kind of... <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I'm a little bit of an exception here because I export my wine, but uh, there are a few others in the country, and it's growing. I mean, I I think I had... Uh, my, my license is triple zero one, so I was the first huh. licensed winery here in Sweden. Wow. Uh, I think they're up to about 30, 34 or 35 by now. Uh, but, you know, it's a You're very You're a trailblazer. Uh, and so how, how, how much, um, Goran, how much government support is there? I mean, if this is a young industry, you know, normally if there are young oh. industries that are growing, there will be some government support to help get that industry off the ground. Is there anything like that in Sweden, just in terms of the government being behind you? Well, I, I got to tell you a fun story. I mean, this, this municipality where I am, uh, they had a few years ago, the um, the chairman of the municipality he he was um, alcoholic so they they actually banned um, all kind of of alcohol I, you know it was even such a, an issue for me to have a sign down at the road saying winery because they considered it would be promoting alcoholism um, I, I managed in the end to get the sign uh, for a restaurant a hotel and winery. But uh, it, it was kind of a little bit of an uphill. No, um, we have a monopoly in this country. Um, so consumer has to go to um, specific uh, state-owned stores to buy alcohol of any kind, beer, wine, and, and, and distilled. Uh, so it's a little bit of an awkward, it's a little bit the same as in Ontario, sort of. Uh, but, so it's a um, different, it's a completely different uh, setup. But um, Goran, I am out of time. I'm so sorry, but wish you the best of luck. Yeah. I hope it stops raining soon. Well, I understood from my producers you that you were very busy today <laughs> and that you wanted to do the live shot from outside so on your vineyard while you were working. Yeah. But we're so grateful to have you on. Tell, All the best tell, of tell luck. Your viewers, tell, your viewers, yeah, tell your viewers to try Swedish wine. All right, thanks. Okay. Thank you, Goran Amagad. Thank you. All right, there is a new K-pop band on the scene in South Korea, but this group has a twist. None of the members are actually Korean. Paula Hancock has more from Seoul. Waterbomb 2023, a K-pop concert in the heart of Seoul where staying dry is not an option. And a key gig for Black Swan, a K-pop band with no Korean members. They're not the first to try it, but Black Swan are hoping they will be the act to break through. So I mean, the obvious question, you're a K-pop group, there's no K, there's no Korean. Does it matter? Actually, there is K because we sing in Korean and K-pop is Korean pop. So as long as the language is there, it is still K-pop. 
Singing in Korean, Black Swan members say they also draw on influences from each of their cultures. Their recent song Karma was filmed in India, where band member Sriya is from. The music video, MV, has been viewed over 5 million times on YouTube. It had been really, really great because uh, it's the first ever MV to be shooted in India. And also it shows like in proper Indian culture, Indian dresses, outfits, and then the dance. Black Swan members are also from Brazil, Senegal and the United States. A global band for a global movement, the band says. And if they see us, like we're all different colors, different backgrounds, cultures, and if they see us achieve it, it's going to put more fire underneath, uh, behind them. One difference, the members did not start as young teenagers, undergoing brutal K-pop training as other young hopefuls do. Two members only signed up two years ago. Oh no. There are usually four to five years of training period as they need to learn the language, dance moves, singing. Even though they're being trained within the K-pop system, we need to respect the cultures of these members and we can't just tell them what to do. The group says training was still tough. But what about the Korean public reaction to this different brand of K-pop? There are other famous bands such as Twice and Eyes One who are considered K-pop bands even though they have foreign members from Japan and elsewhere. It's more like a mindset for me that K-pop is not just because you're Korean and making music in South Korea. As there are no Koreans in the group, I've always looked at the group with doubts about them being K-pop, although they technically are. A number of non-Korean K-pop groups have emerged over recent years. I believe there may be a possibility to have, let's say, American K-pop, British K-pop, or Japanese K-pop, why not? But it may also make K-pop lose their specific identity as K-pop. Be unique. 안녕하세요. Lexon입니다. Paula Hancock's CNN Seoul. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.